0: The following is a presentation of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. I feel like the bigger the situation, just the better I wrestle. World Championships, Olympics, I feel like I'm always at my best. It's incredible to see what wrestling
1: provides, especially for the women in the sport now, in comparison to what I experienced growing up. I don't know if I ever imagined myself being able to live a life in a wrestling sphere like this,
0: I humbled myself so much that I wasn't able to look in the mirror and say, like, hey man, you're pretty good, you know, and have that confidence. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think everyone needs to be able to do that. Everyone needs to, like I said, if you can't speak it in the
1: truth, it's not going to. Be. I know I'm not that good yet, but I try to hold myself to like junior level and senior level standards so that when I wrestle those senior level guys and I train with them, it's not different. Like that's just how I've been there. Is like I've been preparing to wrestle at the Olympics. I'm still really freaking good, you know. I still move really well. I still feel good, and uh, I'll be a world champ again. I'll be a world champ.
0: Now it's time for bonus points—the official podcast of the National Governing Body at USA Wrestling from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Here's your host, Richard Emmel.
1: Welcome back one and all Richard Immel here bringing you another episode of the USA Wrestling bonus points podcast on episode 93 I sit down with one of my good friends in the wrestling community he has worked for nearly two decades as a journalist within the sport of wrestling and currently serves as the community manager at track wrestling Andy Hamilton joins me today and we're going to talk a little bit about his career um, what brought him into the sport of wrestling he came from the newspaper industry has seen a lot of changes in the media industry as a whole, and how journalists are expected to cover different areas, depending on who they work for, what platform they work for, what medium they work in, what sport they cover. It's an ever-evolving circle from the media perspective. And with Andy, we get to dive into what it means from the wrestling perspective. And, of course, we will dive into some current events taking place in the wrestling world. Given Andy is in the wrestling hotbed of Iowa, We'll discuss a little Hawkeyes, a little Iowa wrestling, and different general thoughts about what's taking place in the wrestling landscape. Let's get after it. Andy Hamilton coming up next on Bonus Points. Hey, this is Adeline
0: Gray, three-time world champ. You are listening to USA Wrestling's Bonus Point Podcast with Richard Emmel.
1: Okay, today on Bonus Points, I have a special guest, my good friend. He works for track wrestling. We're still not quite sure what his job title is, but uh, (laughs) Andy Hamilton, you might know him, formerly of the Des Moines Register, moved to track wrestling, uh, what what was that, like a year or two ago? It's been a while, right? Yeah, about
0: uh, 17, 18 months, July of uh, 2016.
1: Okay. Okay. So Andy used to cover the Iowa Hawkeyes pretty religiously in in all Iowa wrestling, I would suppose. Native Iowan, correct? Am I correct there? Native Iowan. So from wrestling country himself, but Andy, uh, number one, pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Awesome to be here, Richard. Yes, it's always
0: fun. I don't know that I've seen you or or, uh, we talked a little bit, but I think the last time I really saw you was in uh, Greece when you were getting ready to board the plane to go home and you gave me some some sage advice to download some entertainment for that Air Canada 10-hour haul home. That I, yes. was really not a lot of entertainment options on that show, but uh, you <laughs> saved me, man. And and uh, you got me hooked on Breaking Bad because I was desperate for mm-hmm. some entertainment on that flight. I, I'd never seen Breaking Bad. I hopped onto Netflix, downloaded like the first six shows, and I think in the next nine days I watched
1: all six You 60- finished it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, Air I'll Canada, fuck. that was the one that you had to use your iPad. They didn't have the the TV screens, right? Right. And yeah. the and the Wi Fi to use your iPad didn't really work anyway. So you had if you didn't have something downloaded, you just sat there and stared at the back of a chair for like from uh-huh. from Greece to to uh, where where are we going? Montreal or no? Uh, was it
0: Montreal? Co- yeah, yeah was Montreal.
1: Montreal. Yeah. yeah, Greece to Montreal which is like a ten hour flight or something crazy like that. So. Uh, No offense to Air Canada, but step up your game, you know, like some of us, we like to like to watch stuff. Um, So I wanted to bring Andy on because number one, you're one of the people in the wrestling community that's very active. You're at all sorts of events, very knowledgeable. Uh, I said astute, I believe astute wrestling mind guru, Andy Hamilton, you know, but also to talk a little bit about uh, track wrestling and what they're doing. And you've been involved in a a major overhaul of track wrestling and, and what they bring to the table as far as content is concerned. So yeah, I want you to first tell me uh, a little bit about what you do at track wrestling and uh, uh, you know what the company without maybe getting too much into the weeds, you know, does on a on a day-to-day to promote wrestling.
0: Yeah, so as you said at the beginning, uh, I'm not really sure what my title is. I think officially it's community manager. I don't know what that means. I, I manage the community. Uh, I am responsible for everything on the, the media platform, kind of overseeing the media platform. And uh, so we've we've gone in a lot of different directions with this. We've launched rankings. Uh, a year ago with David Mercatani doing the college rankings this year, uh Eric Olinowski has kind of been the guy who's overseen the high school rankings. We just launched those about uh about a month and a half ago. Um uh, we've done gone in a, a bunch of different directions with our coverage. Uh you know, launched some like insider notebooks. A year ago we did all eight conferences and we did those on a weekly basis. We kind of scaled that back and went in a little bit different direction this year and focused. Uh, devoted more of our, our attention to uh, high school as well. Uh, so we, we uh, have the high school insider. We have a multi-divisional insider that hits all five um, non-division one levels every week. We have a D1 insider uh, as well. So I'm responsible for... Uh, Uh, overseeing our team of freelancers, managing our team of freelancers. I do some writing. I uh, have, like you, gotten into photography here Mm -hmm. in the last, um, well, three or four months or so, and and that's been fun. Um, Done some podcasting. There's just a little bit of everything. When I was in the newspaper business, it was basically uh, just sort of managing myself. And for 17, 18 years there, all I did was you know you know they gave me a beat they gave me assignments uh told me to just uh basically go out and find great stories and stay up to up to speed on the news and and uh this has been great from the standpoint that that I got a lot of uh a lot of fingerprints on a lot of different things and and they've given me the freedom to kind of shape our coverage a little bit uh we're we're building the team uh, slowly but uh um, I think that, uh, I think we're doing it the right way, and, and um, it, it's been a lot of fun, you know, to cover wrestling, basically, from, you know, we, we've dabbled a little bit into some youth stuff, but uh, mostly, uh, really cranked up our high school coverage here this year, and uh, all the way through, like, the multi-divisional level, Division One, and then uh, certainly been a, a huge blessing to be able to, to go cover all four World Championship events this year. That was, that was so much fun, and. Especially for guys who've never been out of the country until July to spend 47 days overseas. Uh, I think uh, all four trips with you, if I'm not mistaken, or three of the four trips three. with you. Yeah, I didn't and, go to Poland. Uh, yep. So, uh, a lot of fun.
1: Okay. So, from your perspective, I want to talk about content decisions. You know, I mean, you have such a wide range of of areas that you're covering, um, that you're trying to promote. You know, you have youth all the way up to international. Um, and, and everything in between, right? So from a content perspective and a manpower perspective, like what is your philosophy on what makes a good piece of content?
0: Well, I think that uh, one, um, to me, it has to be something that uh, like, what, what makes it good from my standpoint is something that's uh, in an undercover market um, or, or a, a story that hasn't been told. Those are the best stories to me. There's, you know, we're at a time now in wrestling that there has never been more coverage of the sport than there is right now. And I think that will continue through the future, uh, which makes it harder to go out and find untold stories. But there are a ton of them that are out there. And one, you know, one that I think of that just, just a week ago, I wrote about um, for our multi-divisional insider was um, about how Williams Baptist went and they finished second at the NAIA multi-divisional national duels. And and uh you know i just i wanted to learn more about their story kind of a a rising program young program and uh you know so i made a couple calls and and found out that uh the week leading up to the the multi-divisional national duels we you know we got that huge cold stretch there and their heater went out in their wrestling room and they're working out in 40 45 50 degrees and and that that you know it's just little stuff like that it's uh you know going out and finding like uh, you know, this is back when I was in the newspaper business, but, but Daniel D- Dennis and his story, you know, I, I'd never really seen that told up to that point mm-hmm. about how he'd lived in his, lived in his truck for five months and, and, uh, you know, Daniel Dennis doing Daniel Dennis things and, right. <laughs> you know, kind of going off the grid and, uh, climbing rocks and living in, um, living in a trailer that, uh, he bought off his, his winnings at a tournament, um. So I, you know, I like finding that stuff that that hasn't really been told yet. Um, you know, kind of going off the beaten path a little bit. But uh, you know, that being said, there there also has to, you know, there has to be interest in it. I mean, if if I go find a story that I think is a really good story and and nobody reads it, nobody, you know, it doesn't get shared on social media and and the response isn't there, then then it's you know to me sort of a a waste of time. Like I'm I'm out talking in the woods a little bit.
1: Yeah, there has to be a certain balance, right, when you're looking for what's going to move the needle and what's going to be yeah. human interest kind of thing.
0: Right? Yeah, but there are, you know, when, when you're talking about all the, the college programs are out there and, and you know, the, the thousands and thousands of, uh, like, great stories at the high school level and beyond. I mean, there are mm-hmm. so many incredible untold stories out there that, that um, you know, that will never get told unfortunately. But, uh, you know, that's kind of my mission is to make sure that you know, we're getting to as many of them as possible. And, and we're, we're still nowhere close to where I, I want to be. But, uh, you know, I think we're I think we're making some progress in finding some of those stories.
1: So how do you find an untold story in wrestling? To me, it's just getting on the phone and,
0: and uh, you know, calling people um, getting on the phone calling people uh, asking them what you know what's out there that hasn't you know isn't being talked about right now that's one way it's it's showing your face at tournaments and, and really networking with people um, you know those those to me are the best the best ways there's nothing like you know you know human interaction like like getting either either face to face or getting on the phone and, and talking to people and, and just you know it's it's a tight community, but like I said, there are so many incredible stories out there that uh, aren't being told that sometimes you, you know I think a lot of times you just you just have to put in a little time and effort to, to try to make yourself accessible and, and kind of get in the trenches and and hear those stories, find out where, where they are and' what's,
1: what's not being told. So you mentioned something that's it's pretty near and dear to my heart because I have to deal with it too, but podcasts, photography writing, all the other skills associated that are just new. And I don't know, it seems like there's something new every day, right? That you got to pick up on in this industry. Now for you, I mean, you were in the newspaper business and and that industry is, I mean, it's taken cuts and it's, uh, you know, had to adapt and try to figure out new ways to develop revenue and change their models, focus on online revenue and maybe less print. I mean, whatever it is, that's a whole nother topic for another day. But for you, just talk about the ability to adapt and what you have to do on a day-to-day in this profession. It's a challenge that you have to deal with. And, yeah, you know, it's just an unfortunate truth. If you don't stay up to date, then you just get lost, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I, I think back to like my early days in this business, and and I basically carried a a notepad, a pen, and a recorder, and that's about it. And you know, there was one deadline per day to meet, and so. You know, you could go and find a couple, two or three stories and and go back to the office, take your time. If you got it in by 8, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, whatever, if it was a dual meet, uh, you know, I think back to the Hawkeyes and covering the, you know, covering the Hawkeyes in the early years, um, 7 o'clock dual would probably be over by 9. I'd get back to the office around, you know, 9.45, 9.30, somewhere in there, and then have uh, an hour and a half or so to, to write the story. And... Uh, or, or write it from Carver Hawkeye, and and uh, then my last year in the newspaper industry, the last few years in the newspaper industry, you know, I'm carrying a smartphone and, and uh, shooting video, up, you know, editing, uploading video, tweeting, um, Instagramming, uh, putting stuff on Facebook. Um, every, we had a clock on the wall at the Des Moines Register. We had three of them up on the wall in the Des Moines Register, and kind of the significance of that was every, every – uh, you could see, at any point in the newsroom, you could see what the time was, and, and the message that uh, uh, the editor at the time, the managing editor at the time, was trying to get across was every day, or every minute of the day is a deadline, you know. So the so the, the industry had kind of flipped upside down a little bit, and it was more about fast um, Hard-hitting information, cut to the chase rather than a, than a lot of depth, and and you know, then we'll go back at a later point and kind of flesh it out a little bit more. But um, yeah, it's it's really required a lot of people to adapt, um, and, and a lot of people that uh, you know, I, I talked to a lot of veteran reporters, you know, that that uh, you know that they said that they you know never really imagined that they would be doing the things that they're doing and and even myself I mean I mm-hmm. I got in at the beginning of kind of the the internet age and just you know I I never would have imagined that one day you know 15 years ago that one day I'd be uh basically writing a story on my phone and and uploading a photo from my phone and video from my phone straight to straight to a website and it would be live mm-hmm. so yeah it's been and then, you know, certainly uh, the newspaper industry, you know, in the last uh, seven ten years in particular, just uh, the amount of downsizing, and it's forced people to develop more versatile skill sets, uh, to do a lot. Um, every, you know, I think a lot of reporters have just been asked to do a, a lot more. You know, there's been a lot more put on their plate, a lot more different responsibilities. Um, you know, it used to be that, uh, you know, my early years at, uh, you know, in Iowa City, I covered Iowa wrestling, I covered prep sports, and then helped out a little bit uh, with Hawkeye football and, and football recruiting and things like that. And I think by the end of the Des Moines Register, I was covering uh, I was covering football recruiting, I covered uh, the Big Ten Championship and Rose Bowl the year that uh, Iowa, uh, I think 2015. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was covering au- uh, auto racing, high school football, D league, minor league basketball, arena football, um, just so many different things where I was getting spread out so much more. And I think that that's pretty. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people in the newspaper industry, uh, sports writers in particular, have been asked to do things. Uh, you know, in the last several years that they they never imagined that they'd be doing yeah. ten years
1: ago. I think that makes it more challenging too because you don't necessarily get to become an expert.
0: You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I felt like I was kind of chasing my tail. The last year mm-hmm. I was
1: there, I felt like I was chasing my tail uh, in a
0: lot of ways because uh, on the football recruiting front, you had like uh, the rivals, scouts, 24-7 sports, um, all having an Iowa reporter who covers recruiting. Um, you had like on the football front, you had like Cedar Rapids Gazette, Mark Morehouse's Cedar Rapids Gazette, a good friend of mine. Um, he was covering uh, Iowa football, you know, the bulk of his time was getting uh, devoted to Iowa football. Um, you know, you had uh, guys on the high school wrestling front, IA Wrestle, the predicament, uh, really starting to dive into, um, you know, narrow their, their focus or, or uh, uh, really dive into covering wrestling, um, at, both at the high school and college level. And so it felt like, you know, getting stretched so thin that that I was behind in everything that I did, and mm-hmm. and I really didn't like really didn't like that feeling. But uh, it's just you know kind of the reality of where we were as a as a newspaper at that point, and and not having enough bodies to go around to do the kind of work that uh, I, I would have liked to been been able to done at that point.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting you talk about that. I mean, I think two points that I would like to bring up is that you mentioned the clocks in the room, and every every second's a deadline. So there's this challenge to be the first or to be fast or to you know, if you get your stuff out there first, then odds are you're gonna have the most success with it, right? Than if you're you're chasing, you know, if you're behind everything. But you also have to be accurate in that too. So it's fast and accurate. You don't have time necessarily to Yeah to flush everything out, which is uh you know, it's again another challenge. And if you're not an expert in your field or in your your beat, whatever you're reporting, that makes it even even tougher. But you also, which I think can relate back to wrestling, the seems like things are trending more hyper local or more niche. Like those are the successful things coming up. You know, I wrestle, they cover wrestling in the state of Iowa at the different levels, but that's successful. And that's, that's what works for them. It's just, it's interesting to see the changing trends and dynamics of the industry. I didn't mean to go on a, on a journalism uh, <laughs> rant here for the first uh, 20 minutes of the show, but, um, obviously like that's both of our backgrounds. So it's, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I, I'm always, I'm always looking at that stuff and trying to think, you know, how can you, how can you stay on top of your, on top of your game? You know, for what I do, and it's the same for you, I'm sure. Yeah,
0: you know, I think one of the things that, though, you know, there's been, as you mentioned, such a rush to be first that Mm -hmm. I think, and and we've seen it in, um, you know, I'm talking well beyond wrestling uh, journalism here. I'm, I'm talking sports journalism and just journalism as a whole. I think that there's been such a rush to be first that being right hasn't always been a Priority. focal point for some people. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I hope I never get to the point where being first outweighs being right because, uh, you know, I just feel like it takes a long time to build credibility and it takes a very short time. You know, it takes one little thing to lose all credibility that you built. So, um, you know, I think, like, like uh, one thing that comes to mind is, like, the, the Pirates-Astros trade here uh, that they went through with Jared yeah. Cole and and everybody reported like that it was a done deal and it eventually got to be a done deal but it was it was not done when uh when everybody was jumping the gun i mean they mm-hmm. they you know there was like a 4 day window in there where you know, people said the deal's off after it had already been reported as almost a done deal and and so and i think that's just kind of the risk you run when when you're going with uh you know sometimes when you're going with with unnamed sources I you know i I'm never fully comfortable going with somebody that, that uh, won't, put their name uh, won't, to won't put their name to it. But, you know, I realize sometimes, you know, you know a lot of times you're right, uh, but, you know, and I have never really felt comfortable until it came out. And, like, you know, what if, what if this is wrong? I, I know in my mind it's airtight when I go with it, but mm-hmm. there's always that feeling in your mind, like, well, what, if, what if this isn't Right. You know, did do I damage all credibility here? So Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's uh I mean I could go back to, to J School. My you know, my uh you know, you're taught immediately like you are the the guard dogs or, or whatever you wanna call it. So, yeah. The watchdogs, the uh Game of Thrones. You're the watchers on the wall. Any anyway, it's it's something I'm obviously passionate about, but I like uh, I like to have these discussions cuz I don't I don't think that necessarily even people just within wrestling understand the the complexities of of putting stuff out there and gathering information and the challenges behind that. So I think it's good for people to hear, you know. Yeah, I
0: like it too. I don't have these conversations anymore, Richard. I'm not yeah. in a not in a newsroom with you know 40 other journalists anymore. So mm-hmm. it's good stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure, man. And I think this can actually segue a little bit into something I did want to talk about. I want to know what attracted you to Track wrestling and covering wrestling full time. You know, you mentioned it the the register. You're split between so yeah. many different things, and now you get to focus on one sport. I mean, and that's all you focus on. I mean, and obviously you have the other interests. I know you're a big baseball guy, and yeah, but wrestling it's full time. So
0: yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, when I was and I'll take this back a ways, but um, you know, when I was like 16 years old, I just des- I decided this is a the route i was going with my career i was getting into journalism sports journalism and uh you know when when i was probably 18 i wanted to cover iowa football i wanted to be an iowa football beat writer by the time i was 30 and check that box off when i was 26 and um, you know but when i was 22 i started covering wrestling on a full-time basis and between 22 and 26 I became like really hooked on the sport of wrestling. I, yeah, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, one, like the community, the tightness of the community. community. Um, you know, I think that there are a lot of interesting storylines. I felt like, you know, the guys on the Iowa roster were a lot, like their backgrounds were a lot like mine. Growing up in small town Iowa, um, we just related to each other uh, pretty well. A lot, you know, some of those guys that I, I covered in the, the early years, have become, like, super close friends of mine. Uh, you know, Jody Stripmatter, one of my very best friends. Uh, I think of that Iowa lineup in uh, the first year that I covered him in 2000. And, and some of my, my like, really close friends, uh, Jody Stripmatter, Eric Juergens, Doug Schwab, uh, Mike Zadig, Jessamyn Smith. I, you know, I, I don't get a chance to see T.J. Williams all that often, but always enjoy my conversations with him. Um, You know, I've had conversations through the years with Matt Anderson, and and, you know, done a lot of different stories on him, and you know, getting into the Iditarod, and then uh, you know, I think being a forest ranger now up in Alaska, and and uh, cycling. He's just gone off and done so many interesting things, and and uh, you know, like I said, those guys have become like, you know, we kind of grew up together. Uh, We're roughly about the same age, and they've become good friends of mine. And I think you know, through the years, like I remember at a point in time where. You know, five, six years into covering Iowa football that I knew the, the you know, third or fourth string 157-pounder, the last guy on the depth chart better than I knew anybody on the football roster. You know, mm-hmm. Just uh, you know, being able to get so close to that program just on a personal level and, and uh, be able to tell those stories was really uh, uh, something that drew me to the sport. And, and, it, and it went uh, the same way at the high school level. And I've, uh, you know, ever since I've gotten into this job, I, I, it's something that's been consistent, whether, you know, no matter which teams I cover, whether it's just Iowa wrestling or whether it's uh, uh, doing a seven-minutes interview now with Chad Walsh or Ryan Milhoff, um, you know, or, or the 50 other guys that we've done for that series. Um, just really enjoyed my conversations with them. And uh, so there, there's that part of it, too. I, I just, I, I feel like wrestling... Um, like in the early years, they appreciated the coverage more than any other beat that I covered. you know they They enjoyed having me around and and took the time to uh to fill me in on things and and uh, you know some background on me. I wrestled a little bit in in grade school, but but uh, my high school didn't have wrestling my My dad wrestled at Northern Iowa uh back in like 1950 when they were a national championship team. He was on that team. Mm -hmm. uh and and we went to a lot of national tournaments growing up but my like like I said my high school didn't have wrestling so I didn't I didn't wrestle in high school so you know there was a lot that I had to learn about the sport and and the great part about it was there was never a shortage of people that that uh, I could pull aside and say hey I don't understand this can you help me understand it and uh especially in those early years covering the Hawkeyes Jim Zaleski uh uh, gave me incredible access to the program. Tom Brands was great. Cable's been great. And, and, you know, when you start with people like that at the highest levels of the sport and they're willing to, uh, uh, do everything to help you do your job and and help you become successful at your job, it, it's, it's so much more refreshing. It's, you know, you, you develop a, you know, I think naturally develop a passion for the sport that way and, and, uh, uh, it, it was unlike anything else I'd ever covered, and so that's that's where I kind of fell in love with wrestling in the beginning of covering it, uh, but then about, uh, well, I think like nine years ago, I had an opportunity to, to take a job that uh, would have been full-time in wrestling. It would have required moving uh, halfway across the country, and, and I, I just, uh, I really struggled with that part of it, and I turned that job down, and two days later, we had our our first round of job cuts at the iowa city press citizen and and over over the next uh four years three four years we went from having 150 people in the building down to about 30 mm-hmm. and just uh, uh outsourcing a lot of things and and the newspaper industry really um dealt with a, a lot of hard times in there and, and i told myself um at that point, like I'm never gonna let another opportunity, a good opportunity to get into wrestling full time. I'm never gonna let that get away. And, and it just so happened that um, you know the timing was really good for this this opportunity, and also uh, you know getting in on the ground floor or something that uh, has a lot of growth potential and and enables me to you know you know not li- like like as, as we were talking about earlier, not get spread in so many different directions that I don't feel like I can. I can do a good job at anything. I wanted to, you know, I would rather be, be really good at at one thing than, than mediocre or subpar at a bunch.
1: I like that philosophy. And I will say one of my biggest uh, things that I appreciate about the wrestling community is the ability to build those bonds and the people you work with. My favorite part of my job is the people I get to work with the athletes and the coaches and, you know, being at the events and, building those relationships, networking, and everyone is, for the most part, very accommodating and wants you in. It's a very inclusive community, I think. Uh, You know, we take care of our own, um, you know. Yeah, I like to
0: say that, uh, I like to say that uh, we're the world's big, or world's uh, most dysfunctional family, you know. (laughs) Yes. We are the the biggest dysfunctional family. I mean, we've got a lot of uh, of fighting on the inside, um, a Mm -hmm. lot of scrapping on the inside, people that uh, have uh, some you know some rivalries here and there but uh, at the end of the day we're all all in the same family right I mean we're mm-hmm. we're all fighting for the same cause and and it's really cool to see when when something like uh, uh, you know I mean as, as tough as it was in 2013 with the Olympics uh, getting on the put getting put on the chopping block uh, momentarily there it was really cool to see everybody bond together at that point whether you were from the United States Russia Iran uh, you name it Uh, you you know and and you see it at the time in in times of crisis too um, when people are going through hard times um, you know people are dealing with hardships uh, you know who's there for you the people in the wrestling community
1: yeah absolutely and uh, the wrestling community it's a big community it's a worldwide community and I think that's something that you're Uh you know, starting to, to get a bigger grasp of too, you know, I did when I first got here and I went to my first world championships in Budapest and I'll never forget it. You know, I, I stepped off the plane and I was, I was pretty much in awe because I'd never been out of the country. It was just the weirdest feeling to know that I'd flown over the ocean and I'm here. And then I get and experience, all the culture, (laughs) right? It's, it's, it's really a weird feeling the first time you go over there. And I was, gosh, how old was I? I was 23. Yeah, I was 23 when I went to to Budapest, so it was uh, it was pretty, it was just crazy feeling. But you know, you went to the four world championships this year, so cadet junior, senior, U23, which is new. I got to go to three of them. I was with you, but we don't have to talk about Finland and my belt or Greece and the, the big <laughs> bad wolf or anything. We can, you know, we can. That's actually kind of <laughs> the the belt one is a funny story. Yeah, what, uh, what, what for you? You know, have you taken away from your time internationally and seeing the global landscape of wrestling and the people, you know, the communities is much bigger than what we are just in the U.S.?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think about, what, you know, you're talking about flying overseas and all of a sudden you're landing in a foreign country and, you know, nobody speaks the language. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, I, I was, I think I was pretty lucky in that Finland was my first overseas trip. and you know, Finland was great. Finland was, was pretty easy to get around, and, and you know people spoke the you know English, and you know. But that being said, like I, I was traveling on my own, I fly into Helsinki. I'm trying to figure out what train to hop on to get mm-hmm. up to Tampere, and I um, missed my train up there, uh, the first one. Had to pay for you know. I realized I probably didn't have to after the fact, but I'd already paid for a second you know ticket, ticket. to get up to Tampere. Uh, nearly missed getting off my stop in Tampere. Who knows, like how far north I would have wound up if, uh, <laughs> if this guy sitting behind me hadn't uh, said, "Hey, you, you know, you want Tampere?" And, and uh, because it, it wasn't showing up on my uh, on my map mm-hmm. uh, on on the phone, like like we were in the middle of the city. I thought uh, it looked like we were, you know, about still about five miles south of where we needed to be. And but anyway, that was that was a pretty easy. Uh, a trip from the beginning. Uh, I'm glad it was the first one, and, and kind of got my feet wet that way because uh, uh, the other ones were great too. I mean, I really enjoyed uh, Paris and Athens, and uh, you know, um, you know, Poland uh, wasn't uh, all that bad. Uh, Would have been nice. Uh, you know, we ate, I think, pasta and white rice uh, every meal for like nine straight days, but. Uh, uh, you know, I think the one thing that that I discovered this year is is kind of how much your uh, how much United States success and if you're writing about medalists, how much that really shapes your feelings towards mm-hmm. a trip and a country. And and uh, you know, the first three were great. There were so many uh, medalists to write about, world champions. And then the last one, uh, uh, you know, those those guys on the end of the trip really. Uh, Uh, made my Poland experience a lot better, you know, when when you get uh, four guys wrestling for medals on the final day, three of them win, Richie Lewis wins a gold, Uh, uh, but uh, I I think the one thing that I discovered is, you know, that there are just, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, this may sound um, obvious or, you know, maybe not to some people, but but, uh, the thing that was really enlightening to me is that, you know, there's just a lot of friendly people all over the world, people that are are really good people, good-hearted people willing to help you, um, help you understand, um, uh, get you where you need to go. And, and uh, you know, it's it's made me really think about, you know, and, and I, I don't deal with a lot of people here in Cedar Falls, Iowa. They're coming through from foreign countries. But, uh, right. you know, the one thing, like, having been in that situation, you know, trying to uh, be a little bit more... Um, uh, what's the? I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but uh, you know, put accepting. myself yeah, yeah. accepting and and Open, helpful, yeah. mm-hmm. accepting and helpful to, to people that are in our country. You know, that that uh, coming in from a foreign country that uh, you know aren't accustomed to our culture or, or our language or anything like that. So um, I, I think it's it, it was pretty enlightening being in four different countries and and seeing. You know just uh, how different things are overseas, and yet uh, you know you put us in a in an arena with full of wrestlers, and you know it doesn't matter if we're in Poland or or uh, Colorado Springs. You know it's you know we're all speaking the same language, so to speak. Uh, you know once we're we're uh, in the arena,
1: for sure. I had the same experience, and actually I want to tell a story that just came to my head. It's kind of what you're what you're saying. So I land in Buenos Aires for the cadet Pan Ams this year. I don't know if I've told this story or not uh, publicly, but so I land and I'm by myself. I travel by myself. I flew in the day of the competition. I think it started at, in the afternoon. So I flew in overnight and I got there in the morning and someone's supposed to be there to pick me up, you know, and I'm walking around with my suitcase in the uh, Buenos Aires a- airport and like I can't find anyone. I'm trying to text my local contact He's busy, you know, and then I'm looking around. I see another another guy. He's about my age, um, you know, local guy. Uh, he, like, flags me down because he's looking for someone. I'm looking for someone. And and I go up to him, and I thought he said, are you Richard? You know, but he said, <laughs> are you whatever, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And he's like, okay, let's go. Um, you know, I, I got the car outside. So we go out, and he has a truck. Okay. And I don't know if you've noticed on your international trips, but people don't have trucks right. overseas. It's not like here they have, if they have a truck, it's for a reason, you know, it's not just to drive around town in a truck. So I, I go to the one truck I see in the whole airport. I get in the car with this guy, I throw my bag in the back and we start driving and we're driving a little bit and we're just talking, you know, we're talking about, uh, he's asking me about where I'm from. I'm asking him about where he's from. Uh, you know, he was talking a little bit about the, um, uh, Argentinian culture and their uh, political climate, you know, they just selected a new president and the people really love Americans there. And, and we're just, we're just talking for 20, 25 minutes, you know, never met this guy in my life. We're having one of the best conversations you could ever have, you know, and uh, we've gone through a couple toll roads <laughs> and we're driving and, <laughs> and, and uh, he goes, he, he said something about, uh, you know, taking me to the, to the hotel or something like that. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, where where are we going? And then he, I mentioned something about the wrestling tournament and he's like, oh, what do you mean wrestling tournament? And Uh-oh. Uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh yeah. You know, so it's like, expl- I explained to him what I do. So I thought he was just one of the locals who, you know, is a volunteer to pick someone up from the airport and didn't really know what was going on. So I didn't really think anything of it because that's how it normally is. And then, Um, He started talking about, like, going out on the farm and, like, hunting and this and that. I I guess there's a big hunting community in Buenos Aires for a certain bird or or game. And we're just sitting there talking. And he's finally like, what's your name again? (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And so I told him. And uh, he was like, well, here he showed me the passport of the guy that he was supposed to pick up and I was like, "Yeah, that's definitely not me." <laughs> so, we'd been driving for 30 minutes from the airport and he was like freaking out uh, cuz he he worked for a uh, like a, a lodge, I guess, or a resort that um uh, people flew in to go hunt on their grounds, right? So, he would pick them up and take them to the hotel which is what is what i thought i was doing as well going to our hotel so he had to take me back to the airport pick up his guy and i had to find my guy so it's just it's just the weirdest thing but it didn't bother me one bit you know i wasn't freaking out i wasn't upset i I had a great conversation with a guy i never would have met had things not gone that way and it's just something you have to deal with when you go overseas it's yeah. everything will go wrong like yeah. it will go wrong you just have to deal with it, pick up the pieces and figure it out, you know, and I've, I've been overseas now, probably most of the times I've been by myself, you know, just traveled by myself and had to deal with all the arrangements by myself. Um, I stayed in Peru for an extra two weeks after the junior Pan Ams by myself and just went into the mountains by myself. You know, that's a whole, whole wild story together, (laughs) but, uh, it just echoes your point, you know, um, uh, that you were discussing, Another fun fact, I am wearing my finished belt, Finnish nice. leather, authentic. I wear it every day. It's my only belt. <laughs> so uh, I don't even remember what – did my belt break? Like, your belt I think broke. My buckle broke. Yeah, and I had to go find a new belt in Tampa Ray. So So yep. I paid €40 Euro for a finished belt, authentic leather. It was nice. It became
0: um, a discussion point for your class too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I had a international business um, – a marketing class a global marketing class so it was great you know a lot of the bits and pieces I took from other countries I was, I was able to take into class and and try to share at least I mean there's obviously those people who just want to chit chat and you know be the center of attention the whole time and in graduate classes anyway you know it's very discussion based you know and you try to learn from one another but it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun Um, so one thing I did want to ask you is you've got a first hand look at the upcoming generation of wrestlers you know with, based on your overseas trips, and you know, you've seen the Mark Halls and the Gable Stevensons and you know even the cadets, you know that were just balling out over there in, uh, yeah. in Athens. You know, uh, you know Colton Schultz, um, all these guys. So you've seen kind of what the future holds for USA wrestling. Uh, what's your perspective on the upcoming generation that you see? And uh, I mean, you were there for the world title in Paris too, so you've you, you've seen what it could be potentially so uh you excited what are your thoughts
0: yeah I mean this is going to be awesome the next 10 years and and maybe beyond but you you just start looking at uh uh you know the thing that jumps out to me is maybe like a uh a snapshot of the kind of crystallizes everything in my mind you think about Aaron Brooks and we were sitting next to each other, actually you were down taking photos, but we were sitting next to each other in Greece, right in front of the mat where he came out in his first round match mm-hmm. and just tore this guy from Georgia apart. Yeah. It was four, 14 to three and it like or fourteen to two and the two points that the Georgians scored were actually a like a Jonesy that right. <laughs> Brooks hit. It should have been Brooks' two points. Uh-huh. But the officials hadn't seen it, and so they they thought that uh, the Georgian was putting Brooks on his back. But Aaron Brooks was not even supposed to be on that team, Hmm. and he ran through the entire cadet world bracket. Um, You know, really didn't have a close match. The finals was kind of, you know, the score maybe wasn't as indicative of how lopsided the match was, Uh, but he was supposed to be a second teamer. And... And I that's think wild. when you get to, you get to the point where you've got guys who might not even be the best guy in the United States um, who go off and win world titles, uh, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And and you think about like I wrote about this for our high school Insider a week ago, the amount of depth at 220 and heavyweight, and you start thinking about Gable Steveson. Um, uh, Daniel Kirk Vliet, Colton Schultz, all world champions, going to be college heavyweights. Um, okay. Then you throw in guys like Seth Nevels, Tony Cassiope, uh, Mason Paris, uh, Braxton Amos. That's just one weight class, and 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 you think about it too, like which weight classes have we had the hardest time as a country filling in the, you know, doing well internationally? It's it's sort of been heavyweight in that, uh, you know, our Best, you know, by and large, our best athletes who are six foot five and two hundred and fifty pounds in the United States are off playing D end, mm-hmm. um, or or linebacker or tight end, and and they're wrestling in other countries. And so when we can, you know, accumulate as a country, we we can accumulate that kind of depth at at uh, heavyweight and the big weight classes. Um, and then certainly you look down low at. Uh, you know Dayton Fix, Spencer Lee, Kurt McHenry, um, so on and so forth, and and the guys through the middle. We could go on for, you know, we could go on for several minutes about Mark Hall and company as well. But um, mm-hmm. I, I cannot wait for the trials in 2020, 2024, because I think I think they're going to be unbelievable. It's going to be something that uh, our country, you know, maybe has never seen in my lifetime. Uh, maybe maybe it's never seen a period but uh uh you know i i don't know how you can't be you know over the moon excited with with what's going on at at the age uh what's going on at all levels of USA wrestling in the freestyle program right now
1: have to agree with that um going back to you a little bit you mentioned that you, you you wrestled for a little bit right but it wasn't it wasn't your passion growing up it wasn't what you did every day um you didn't necessarily grow up in the sport I mean your dad wrestled but you know it wasn't um you weren't like Dayton Fix going every single tournament yeah son wrestling right when you're growing up what interest did you have I mean what was your major uh, pursuit I guess what did you dream of becoming You, you mentioned earlier you know at a certain point you wanted to be a Hawkeye beat writer but you know to get you to this point what was uh how did you develop like that
0: Yeah, so I played a lot of different sports when I was younger. Um, Wrestling, like like I said, we didn't have wrestling in our school district. We might have been the only school district in Iowa at the time that didn't Mm -hmm. have wrestling. But uh, uh, I had a, like my best friend at the time, his dad was into, his dad had been a boxer growing up. He had been into wrestling a little bit. And so we had living room matches, um, probably about three, four, five living room matches a couple nights a week during the winter. (laughs) Uh, but it was just me and him, and we'd go off to, to youth tournaments and wouldn't have a lot of success and and uh, you know we, you know we weren't getting hardly any coaching I, My dad um, never pushed me into wrestling and it was kind of like you know if I asked him to teach me something he would but but he was totally hands off and and I think I probably would have developed um, a more of a passion for wrestling if I had success at a younger age and I probably would have had more success if I had gone to him and Asked him for, you know, a little more coaching here and there. But uh, but he kind of let me found my, find my own way. And, and when my best friend moved away um, after fifth grade, I that's when kind of my wrestling career stopped. We had a uh, sharing agreement with a local school for a junior high program for like one year in there. And I knew it was never going to be anything that lasted because we were going to bump them up a class at the high school level and there was some resistance to that. And so... Um, so I kind of, uh, you know, I, I went, to, uh, I, I hate to say this, but I went the basketball route. Uh, baseball was, baseball was uh, my biggest passion, though, mm-hmm. and uh, played for a, uh, a coach who uh, is going to be, a, you know, he's a Hall, Hall of Fame coach in Iowa here. He's uh, had tremendous success by the name of, you know, his name's Charlie Stuff. He coaches at Iowa City West now. They've played in like five state title games in like the last eight years or so. Uh, Could not have asked for a better coach uh, in high school than what we had. We were a top ten program pretty much all, but about three weeks of my high school career. And and, uh, my dream growing up was to play shortstop for the Yankees. And and, uh, played a couple years of junior college baseball at uh, Ellsworth Community College and then went to Iowa and uh, decided at that point it was time to start thinking about a, a you know, giving up on that dream of playing shortstop for the Yankees it looked like Jeter was pretty firmly entrenched Jeter. with that job. And
1: <laughs> yeah, how are you going to top Jeter? So, so, so uh, uh, tell me about that, though. This this moment in your life, I think this is a moment, even though it's not wrestling, where you had to decide, uh, you had to make a choice, right? Do I continue to pursue this thing that, you know, maybe in my heart I know that I'm not the best shortstop in the world. You know, I love it. But I have to decide, okay, I need to, to have a backup plan at least, or you know, yeah. moving on with your life I think is something that you know, I struggled with as a wrestler. It's a very difficult decision for me to stop. And I wasn't I wrestled in college, but I wasn't the pinnacle. You know, I wasn't I wasn't Kyle Snyder going out there, you know, just whopping everyone. So I think that's something that maybe you can share some insight on is is how you made that decision and well, how you dealt with it.
0: Yeah, I think the decision pretty much got made for me. I mean, I realized I wasn't, uh, a couple of things. One, uh, you know, I wasn't having the kind of success that uh, uh, I wanted. And, you know, looking back on things, if, if, uh, I think if I had been around wrestling and been around Tom Brands and, and Jim Zaleski and, and Gable when I was 16, 17, I probably would have had, you know, I think I probably would have had a lot different perspective, a lot uh, would have looked at myself a little bit more honestly in the mirror and, and asked myself, you know, are you doing the things that you need to do to, to have the kind of success that you want to have? And and mm-hmm. looking back on it, no, I wasn't. And uh, um, you know, but uh, also had a shoulder injury that kind of kind of helped contribute, uh, you know, the end of my baseball career. But uh, you know, it's it's hard, you know, when you you invest that's that much into it and. You know, talking about 15 years at that point, uh, you know, and, and you love a sport the way you do and, and uh, you commit so much to it, it's, it's hard to let go of it. It, mm-hmm. it really is. And, you know, the toughest part for me um, was every, like, late February, early March when the weather would get nice for the first time, you know, when it, when it would be that first, like, 60-degree day in the in the spring – when I knew like that would be the time we'd be picking up a glove and going outside for the first time. And no, you know, it took a long time to, to come to grips with that. But then, you know, after a while you realize like, look, this doesn't last forever. Even, you know, even if you do reach the pinnacle of, of the mm-hmm. sport, uh, you know, you got to put the glove down at some point, move on with your life. And, and it happened to me a lot, uh, a lot sooner than I wanted it to happen. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think you just find other areas in life to fill those voids, to, to fill that, um, that competitive void that's missing in your life, whether it be, you know, going, you know, going, um, you know getting up to your neck in, in your work and your passion that way, or finding some other hobbies. And, um, you know, that's kind of what I did with uh, my, my journalism career and, and just uh, kind of craving that type of competition. It's a little bit different. You know, when, when, uh, you know, your, your victories are, are, you know, telling a good story and, and it's, it's, you know, you're, you're driving yourself intrinsically more than what a, a stat sheet or, or a scoreboard says. But, uh, um, yeah, I think, uh, the one thing that I found to kind of fill that void was, uh, trying to break stories, trying to break news, trying to tell stories that had never been told before and, and also, uh, you know, it, uh, the newspaper industry, while it was competitive, there was also uh, you know, kind of a brotherhood that you shared with other people on the beat. And, and uh, you know, you, you want to beat them to stories, but you also uh, you don't take it as life and death either. So, so that was pretty cool as well.
1: You covered Iowa wrestling for, what, near two decades? Yeah, I've been coming up on
0: it almost. Um, so I think this is 19th year in some way, shape, or form.
1: So tell me the loudest Carver moment that you experienced.
0: Oh, boy. I, I think it had to have been Ramos over Oliver. I, I can never remember Carver getting a whole lot louder than when he scored that takedown on the edge. It, it, it probably has to be a Tony Ramos moment, whether it was that one or, or the falls against Penn State. You know Those were, those were so loud that you, you couldn't hear the person next to you, you know, without basically screaming right into their ear. Um, you know those were pretty loud. Um, you know there weren't as many people in the stands that night because there was a snowstorm. But uh, Iowa beat Minnesota in '03 in a in a duel where uh, Joe Johnston pinned Luke Becker, and Luke Becker was a returning national champion. Joe Johnston was a freshman. It got loud then. Uh, Ryan has scored a late reversal to upset Damian Hahn. Damian Hahn was a returning national champ. It got really loud then. Uh, But I I, I think Ramos might own one, two, and three on the list on the loudest moments.
1: Is there one wrestling match or moment from that era that sticks out to you?
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think... um, the, The one that I'll never forget is Zadik over Frey. Um, that's a great match what a like what a bizarre match i've never Mm -hmm. seen anything like that in a folk style match uh before or after where you know freyer dominated for three minutes and i think it was like 13 to nothing maybe with like two plus minutes of writing time and then uh mike came back and uh what what it end up like 21 to 19 i think
1: right it was it was wild I think it's on YouTube if you want to check it out or flow someone someone has it Uh, because I was not really old enough to register the match at the time you know that was that was really when I started getting into wrestling and following OU so Jared Freire was one of my one of my favorite wrestlers him Michael Leitner Whit Durden Leons Crump yeah Wayman May I just uh, that was that was like the team that that got me going into wrestling. My dad would take me to the OU duels, so I got to watch that them was, at home. That, if I'm not mistaken, that was a night that was a consolation match at the national duels, consolation duel,
0: and it came after Oklahoma lost to uh, Ohio State on the on the strangest overtime match that you know Rollins against Crump were right. you know both high level competitors. I think they might have been ranked. Probably in the top four, both of them at that point, and Roland scores the takedown in overtime. And Crump, not thinking about the match still being, uh, you know, about himself being in danger and in, in uh, the, that the match could carry on at that point, uh, uh, goes right to his back, and then Tommy just climbs up the body and pins him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what a bizarre weekend in Columbus that was. But uh, yeah, there've been a lot of them. Um, the the like I mentioned, the Fulsis Ha Han match, the um you know the the Becker Johnston match, uh those were those were some pretty uh interesting matches back in the day. I remember Zadek had another one against uh Eric Schmizing, I think it was, from Hofstra, where he was down like a point um a point and they came back to the center with like less than five seconds to go and Mike scored a takedown like off a low single if if I'm not mistaken to win a match in there. So yeah, there's just been a. Carver does some funny things to people. Um, you know, you've seen some guys that have rise, that they, they will rise up and perform better than than what they they would anywhere else. Uh, you see some guys that uh, it, it looks like it just totally zaps them. It looks like they've never run a wind sprint in the entire season, <laughs> right? And yet you know they're in great shape, but uh, that that environment just sucks the energy right out of them. So, yeah, it's been. Uh, been a pretty wild 19 years of uh, covering the Hawkeyes and uh, seeing some really interesting things.
1: Given your experiences within the sport and from your lens, your perspective, what do you see in the sport of wrestling traits qualities that set it apart that make it um, different, attractive, you know, something that you should want to be part of?
0: Well, I mean, it, it seems kind of cliche to talk about all the light life lessons that it, it, it teaches you, but uh You know, I mean, you just start with a, you know, with a pin itself, you know, getting off your back when times are tough, you know, trying to, uh, you know, dig yourself out of a hole and, and, uh, you know, get back up and fight. Uh, I I think that, um, you know, the sport teaches so many valuable life lessons in that, uh, you know, if you aren't doing everything right uh, with every part of your preparation, whether it's whether it's your conditioning, whether it's your nutrition, whether it's your rest, whether it's your lifestyle habits as a whole, uh, there is nobody else out there to hide behind. And and it's not like, you know, I think about, uh, you know, basically back to, to junior college when, when I was on a team my sophomore year and, and we were doing nothing right away from the field. Um, you know, enjoying the college social life way too much and yet... Uh, you know, it showed up collectively when we would go out and play the following day or we'd play the, you know, the next game. Um, but, uh, you know, you can hide behind eight other people out there or you can hide behind ten other people when you're on a football field or four other guys on a basketball field. You can always pass the ball to somebody else to take the shot. And, and that's a great part about wrestling is, is there's nobody else out there to blame. Um, yeah, you can blame the official uh, here and there. Uh, but uh, you know, by and large, it's 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 on you to make it happen. Um, and and you can, you know, we we all have our our limitations of of uh, God-given ability and talent and things like that. But uh, uh, it's it's one sport in that uh, you can you can go out and kind of determine what you want to become and. and uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, one snapshot moment that was really cool out of the Beast of the East, uh, when uh, Kurt McHenry wrestled Trevor Mastro Giovanni in the finals, um, you're talking about a guy in Kurt that's maybe a little undersized, but he is ultra fast, and Mastro Giovanni's like a, a, a foot taller than him, and it's, it's just a, you know, a really cool moment in that uh, it doesn't matter if you're, you're tall and skinny or short and fast, uh, short and stocky, um, you can find a way in this sport, somehow, some way, uh, to have some success if, if you know, you, you surround yourself with the right people that can help you uh, kind of craft your style and, and, and play to your strengths. And, and that, that, to me, is one of, the, one of the things that's really cool. It's like Anthony Robles winning a national title. Uh, you know, wrestling, if, if you devote yourself to it, somehow, s- some way, you can find a way uh, to have some success in the sport.
1: I do want to talk a little current events. Um, we'll stick with we'll stick with wrestling, of course. But, okay. Um,
0: leave North Korea. We'll leave North do Korea. Nuclear warfare. Yes. Alone. Uh,
1: I did watch Dunkirk last night. I think I have to watch it again. It was good. It was good. I just uh, I think I need to, to get back into it. So Dunkirk. That's that. Iowa at Ohio State this weekend. That's a big, pretty big matchup. You know, Iowa seems to be a team on the rise, a team with momentum. Big win over Oklahoma State last week. They pull Spencer Lee. Who knows who else is going to come in the lineup this weekend? You, you never know, I guess. Um, but I I really like what I'm seeing out of the Iowa team. Love Marinelli. Marinelli, he's just a he's a bruiser, man. He just goes out, he'll bang with you and, and gets the job done. What are your thoughts on the Iowa team as currently constructed and Iowa at Ohio State this weekend? That's a that's a pretty big matchup and could be a huge statement for Iowa I think uh, or really both teams but you know Iowa seems to have a lot to gain if they if they put a good showing uh, against Ohio State in the last home duel for Bojo, NATO and Snyderman
0: yeah yeah I think one of the things that's interesting here with with these two teams you think about uh, you know I think about culture a little bit with these two programs right now and and uh, when your best guy is also when your best wrestler is also your your best example like then you can really get somewhere and I think that that's what we've seen with Ohio State with Kyle Snyder Uh, you know everything that that I've seen from him and the time that I've been around him like how can you not be uh, the have the utmost respect for him and and uh, you know maybe the most mature 21 year old that I've ever been around He's 21 years old. <laughs> he's more mature than I am right now. Like, yeah. I hope someday I'm as mature as Kyle Snyder at 21. But, right. uh But, um, you know, I think that Iowa is starting to get back to that a little bit, too, when when you look at the examples that uh, are on that roster now, and, and you talk about Spencer and, and Marinelli and, and Michael Kemmerer yes. uh, in particular. I, I, it just feels to me like they're getting the right guys on the roster again, and, and uh, guys that... Um, uh, are, are the brands type of personalities and and athletes that they want? Um, and and I I agree. I think it's a it's a, a huge measuring stick for the Hawkeyes. You, you know, you look at Ohio State in um such a tremendous lineup, one to ten, and
1: maybe the uh, best we'll, ever, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, quite possibly, very mm-hmm. possibly. Uh, to me, Ohio State reminds me a little bit of a a much better version of minnesota, minnesota of 2001 right i was you
1: thinking know, that where
0: too. where that minnesota team was 10 strong uh, but they didn't have anybody who made the finals that right. year and and certainly didn't have a snyder a tomasello a um you know guys like miles martin Bo jordan i mean you get you could down like four or five deep into their lineup and they still got national national Colin title Moore. contenders Colin yeah, Colin Moore. One, you know yeah you know if, if that guy is you know one of those guys that we mentioned is their fifth best guy, yeah. and you're talking about a national title contender. So um, so I think, yeah, you're talking about a team that very well could go down as the best team in college wrestling history to this point. Um, you know, uh, Iowa, it's, uh, as you mentioned, a, a team on the rise, a team that uh, I think we had at the beginning of the season, and, and other people had at the beginning of the season, ranked like 10th, 11th. Uh, Somewhere in there, they're looking, uh, you know, if they can add Downey to the lineup. um, Looking at a squad that, uh, on paper, probably comes out maybe third in the rankings uh, with with some growth potential there. Uh, I think I think one of the keys for this bunch um, is figuring out where they're going to go at 33, 41, Mm -hmm. uh, getting some more production at those two weight classes, and then and then continuing to see progress. you know, it's been a, a heck of a season up to Sunday for for Cash Wilkie. I think he's um, 97 to me is wide open after Colin Moore. I think he has established himself as the clear-cut favorite there. Uh, but but after after him, I think he look from you know maybe there's a, a, a tier of guys from about two down to six, and maybe you know there's not much separation from that tier from that tier to the next one, which goes down to about 15 to 20. And, and that's, you know, when when we pull Penn State into the conversation, too, uh, that's a weight class where they're going to have to pick up where they can and will probably need to pick up some big points at the national tournament mm-hmm. uh, in order to, to offset the depth that Ohio State has from, from 25 down to heavyweight.
1: It is interesting, right? Because you have possibly the best top to bottom team going against yeah. maybe the best, you know, high end team, right? The, the team that. You know, five national champs versus ten solid strong kind of thing. You know, but, but I mean, obviously it's that's not it's not that simple. But this, to me, it's going to be the best team race we've ever seen. It it could come down to the last to the last. I mean, how great would that be? It'd only be fitting if you ask yeah. me that we have an Ohio State Penn State you know matchup at the end Saturday night at the national tournament. But
0: and, and nobody's really talking about it. But how about the race for the for trophies though? Yeah. You know, outside of that, I mean, like three. We have seen in our rankings 3 through like 9, 3 through 10 even. Actually, 3 through 9. I think Oklahoma State's ninth now. But, uh, you know, 3 through 9 have flip-flopped over the course of the last like 5 weeks. Mm-hmm. Like they've like completely flip-flopped. And, and Iowa even, you know, it's a little goofy to people that, that Iowa beats Oklahoma State and drops 3 spots in our rankings, but it, but it was just a reflection of, of Wilkie. Losing at 197 and and the changes that came about there, they're so jam tight that now what we're seeing is like one result per week, totally throws off like three, four, five, six, and seven in the rankings. It totally jumbles that order, and so uh, that's going to be one of the races to me that that is going to be really fascinating to watch. Not just the rest of the season, but certainly uh, in in Cleveland.
1: Yeah, I I actually wrote an article for our magazine. Uh, two issues ago or right before the college season. But I outlined that this has the potential to be the best college season we've ever seen. I mean, with so many different things at play from the individuals and the yeah. team perspective, you know, combined everything, we could be talking about a season unlike any other that we've ever seen. And uh, with that, go to Cleveland. Basically, that's my point. You don't want to miss it. Yeah. Um, yep. And, you know, just, the storylines that we're seeing it's maybe it's because there's more more exposure too but statistically that like i looked at it and the statistics back this up like there hasn't been a group of individuals with this high of credential level all in one season there hasn't been these rivalries i mean look at vincenzo and imar going at it bo uh, bo nickel and miles martin and and just all the stuff that's coming out. Spencer Lee yeah. adds intrigue and yeah. Seriano. I mean, there's just so many storylines going on. Plus the, the team. Thing, race. Yeah. The
0: only thing to me that uh, kind of maybe compares, it seems comparable to 2013 when you had Dake and Taylor at the same weight yeah. class you had. Yeah. You had, uh I think, uh, was that Perry and how in Des Moines too, maybe? No, I think that was the next. That year. was Oklahoma city. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Perry wrestled Matt Brown in the finals yeah. that year. But uh, you know, Nelson and Guzdowski, um, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken, um, just you know there were a ton of returning national champions coming back that that year. I remember there were like 11 returning national champs in in 2013, and then you had like Steber, Ramos, um, you know Delgado and Megaludis. McDonough was in that weight class. Um, Nashon Garrett was at 125. But yeah. This is, uh, no doubt, when, when you start factoring in the young talent coming in and the right. credentials of these guys, and guys are more – it's crazy how much, even five years later, how much more equipped guys are to come in and win right away like they are now. I mean, you, you're talking Spencer Lee. Yanni has been super impressive this year. Uh, 141 is going to be bananas. Yeah. 165. Mm-hmm. Um, 165, I mean, it feels like – like Imar and and uh, Vincenzo are the class of the field right now, but that's another weight that goes like 15 deep, mm-hmm. you know, in the rankings. And I think I think everything from Thursday night at the national tournament on at, at 41 and 65 is is going to be can't miss stuff.
1: Absolutely. Speaking of can't miss stuff, potential. Hopefully, if I get this thing edited, we will have this out before Gross and Meredith wrestle tonight. It looks like they're going to wrestle tonight. I want to talk about maybe not necessarily this match but what matches like this could do for wrestling because it seems to me there's a lot of buzz around a Thursday night duel between Wyoming and South Dakota state that would not have been there if this thing had not matriculated, you know, and why don't we see more of this? Why don't we see uh, mainly because all the number ones wrestle on the same team. It seems like this year, but you know, you know, why not have a Darian Cruz bump up to wrestle Seth gross or whatever, whatever the matchup is.
0: How about uh, how about Rutherford versus Knoll? Let's get that one. Let's do it, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, let's get that going. Or Dean Hile versus Rutherford. I mean, I would want to see that. You know, that's uh, you know, can Dean Hile do it against someone as high motored and high powered as Rutherford? You know, we see it at forty one. He seems to win the same way almost every time. You know, it doesn't matter who he's wrestling. But yeah, I mean, maybe this year isn't the best example of it. But I think building these matchups, you know, Gross and Meredith, what? Why don't we see more of this? This is just what's great about wrestling, is, uh, and I, I'm just glad to see that. It seems like Bono is really on board to do this, you know, and, and the wrestlers are as well, um, which is it's cool to see for me, completely outsider looking in. Um, but I yeah, really absolutely,
0: absolutely, and I think uh, you know when when you look at, I think Seth Gross has probably put himself like stamped himself as a bona fide odds contender with what he's done so far.
1: Yeah, hashtag and, Seth and, Gross for
0: Hodge. And there probably weren't a lot of people talking Seth Gross for Hodge two months ago. Were you? Were you banging the drum for
1: Seth Gross two months ago? <laughs> I think ago? I was leading the I was leading okay. the train. Uh, okay. but, but no, to your point, I think I think you have a point, but I'll I'll let you continue.
0: But uh, you know when you look at how many eyes and ears are on Big Ten wrestling and, and I it, it's sort of like the Heisman. I mean if you're the returning Heisman winner, you you know, you get a head start for the following year uh you're you're instantly in the conversation and and to me it almost feels like if seth gross is going to win the hodge this year he needs a little help he needs somebody to step up and wrestle a close match with retiford he needs somebody you know uh i think there are some factors that are, that are outside his control is what i'm saying and and, mm-hmm. and the one thing that he could do that would really you know help his campaign and i and this may not even be something that that chris bono and his staff are even thinking of uh the, the hodge trophy might be the furthest thing from their mind but if uh if he steps up and beats the number one guy at 41 that goes a long way towards his candidacy i think i mean it's it factors into my mind if uh you know when i'm putting uh names on the ballot
1: absolutely as a voting member i think you know i don't necessarily get so caught up in the yes the pins and the bonus points and all that is very important. But, you know, I, I try to think about what have they actually done? Who have they done it against? Yeah. You know, level of competition to me, if gross went out there and won a six to three match, six, four match over Bryce Meredith, and he goes on to win one forty one, to me, that helps out a lot than a pin against whoever in the yeah. you know, conference tournament, you know, right. so that, it's like,
0: it's like, uh, like Brody Teske and Alex Thompson out here yeah. going at it twice. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I think with those two guys stepping up the challenge and putting, you know, three-year undefeated records on the line, um, you know, when it had only been done six times in state history and having the courage to do that, um, you know, wrestling is better off because of stuff like this.
1: Yeah, and I, it's a bad analogy, but I kind of think, like, the college football playoff, you know, how it used to be the AP mentality of, just, you know, keep you keep winning and you keep moving up. Yeah. And now it's like, what have you actually done for me? Yeah. Are you the best team, even if you lost? You know, that's that's kind of how I think about it. But this is going to go to my point that at the end of the year, I'll make a pitch for Kyle Snyder and how he should be winning the Hodge Trophy. But we'll, we'll wait and see how things shake out. You it seems know a little gonna... bit weird, though, doesn't it, that uh,
0: the, the best wrestler on the planet doesn't win the Hodge Trophy like a, a year ago? But, I, I, you know, when you look at the criteria, I mean – you know, how can you not go with with Rutherford a year ago?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's who I voted for last year. And just I put Rutherford one, and I put Snyder two. But you know, this year's a different year. We'll see what yeah. happens. Yeah, you know? Kyle um, scored more pins this year too. Yeah, yeah, he has a he has a pretty good percentage. Um, Andy, I uh, I don't know. We've been talking for a while. Anything else you want to dive into? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't even know where to go with this anymore. I've got other other random topics, but. It's a good time to be a wrestling fan we've got some good stuff coming up this week tonight if i get this thing out in time you know i mentioned gross meredith iowa ohio state this weekend And you know, we've got ivan uregan coming up yeah that's uh i think the guys are leaving for that on sunday and girls we're sending a squad over there
0: good it's good, to, it's good to, to have some freestyle back right some i mean it never really yeah. totally disappears but uh uh, but, but to get back to some high level stuff for 2018 and, and have it count towards, or at least uh, be in our minds for, you know, pecking order for who's where, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for Budapest, I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Freestyle. Man, I miss freestyle. Freestyle. Me too. It's just so much, it's a better style of wrestling than folk style. To me, it is. More exciting, I should say. Me too. Me too. I
0: like, uh, you know. It sounds crazy to some people saying that, you know. But uh, you know, the people that watch a lot of it, I, d- I don't know how you can you can watch freestyle and watch folk style if you've watched high level wrestling and say that, that folk style is better. It, uh, you know, it, there's just, you know, it's so much more fast paced. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a, an 8-0 deficit isn't a death sentence. You know, we've seen some wild stuff that's happened. And, uh, you know, you, you just don't see these lulls in action where, you know, nothing happens for a minute. Right. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's great to have it back. I, I tell you what, I, I love it, and I think that uh, credit to the people that have gotten it back to this point. Uh, I wouldn't have said this five years ago, but uh, it's, it's an awesome product right now. And, uh, I, I, think that, that we're moving in the right direction as a sport on the international level.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. You know, I think, I think that's a, that's a good place to end it for us. I think, uh, okay, you can, uh, follow Andy on Twitter at Andy underscore Hamilton anywhere else. I mean, uh, I'll let you have the floor to sort of, sort of wrap it up. If you have anything coming up with track or, um, you know, any, uh, any asks of the audience, you know, it's a well, well-versed wrestling audience.
0: Well, did we score
1: some bonus points today, Richard? Score some. We were we not just. Like I think we went into. A, I think we went into overtime. Yeah, so yeah. we're we didn't go to criteria yet. So I yeah. I don't know for freestyle or folkstyle right now. So are we going to writeouts or are we going to to criteria? <laughs> um,
0: um, no, it's just it, like uh, yeah, just check out track wrestling. We got a lot of cool stuff coming uh, down the pipe here in in the weeks to come. Um, a ton of state high school tournaments are going to be. Uh, uh, on our platform this year, we got some exciting stuff coming coming down there. Um, some incredible high school wrestling action uh, beginning. Basically, we're already underway. Georgia had its uh, state duels this past weekend. Florida going to have their state duels for the first time this weekend. Um, so, I think we've got close to you know I think close to forty state tournaments that are going to be uh, streamed on our platform over the course of the next couple months. Um, Exciting stuff there, and then uh, um, you know, some content as well, some new feature pieces that we're going to be coming up with in uh, weeks and months ahead, so check out, out all that stuff. Follow us on our social media platform, and feel free to, if you have story ideas that we're missing out on, by all means get in touch with me, get in touch uh, with us on our track wrestling social media channels, and uh, pitch them to us. We're
1: all yours. And if you're ever in Athens, Greece, stop by the Big Bad Wolf. Big Bad Wolf, do not. Souvlaki Bar. Yep, do not miss yeah. the Big Bad Wolf. Do not miss it. Get the, uh, I don't even remember what I got, so I'll leave that alone. It was good. It was good. Thank you, Andy, for coming on the show. And, yeah, anytime, uh, Richard. Yeah, I will uh, see you down the road. at a Sounds wrestling. good. That will do it for episode 93. Thanks again to everyone for tuning in. And big thanks to Andy Hamilton for jumping on with me. It is always a pleasure to chat about things I'm passionate about and to do so with fellow like-minded individuals. Don't forget to hop on iTunes, drop us a rating and review. That is greatly appreciated. If you have any feedback for the show, you can email me at rimmel at org, or find me on Twitter at Richard underscore ML or at USA Wrestling. Whatever works for you. But I will say, already working on the guest for next week, looking to throw it back a little bit to one of our past legends of the sport, but that is all I'm going to say right now. I will, however, leave you with this. All you wrestlers out there, I am Richard Nimble of USA Wrestling, reminding you once again, don't just settle for the win, and you can score bonus points. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?